One year ago, on a business program, I got introduced to the topic of imposter syndrome. Back then, I had no idea what exactly imposter syndrome is, I didn't know how it can manifest in your life, and I for sure didn't know how it can block you from being where you want to be. I am so, so happy to be having Ines Padar here on the podcast. She was the person that led this workshop one year ago and really opened my eyes to see how my past has influenced the way that I see myself right now. What are some limiting beliefs that are keeping me away from what I want to do? What are also some tools and practices that can actually help me break these and just make a step forward. Ines is an incredible expert in the topic of imposter syndrome. She's been working with people in different backgrounds, in the coaching business, in the corporate, and most importantly, she has lived this herself. In this topic, we're talking about how she overcame her depression, what emotional freedom technique is, how comparison and perfectionism are influencing our life, how our subconscious mind sabotages from time to time and what are some tools and practices that can help us on the way so this time grab a notebook and a pen because i believe that there's gonna be a lot of wisdom that you would like to write down so this time grab a notebook and a pen and dive directly in the interview with ines padar the imposter syndrome terminator Hi, Ines. I'm incredibly happy to have you here on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm curious to know um, how your day started and where you are currently. Uh, amazing. I am in Switzerland right now in rainy, cold Switzerland. The day started off well. Uh, and actually, fun fact, just before we hopped on this podcast episode, my Wi-Fi crashed and it, I was eight minutes late, which for a Swiss person <laughs> is unacceptable. But here we are. <laughs> It's totally fine. I also said that it's Mercury retrograde. I do believe in these things and it's mm -hmm. only two days more that we have it. So fingers crossed that um, everything is fine until the podcast. Um, do you have a morning routine? Do you have uh, something that you do every day starting your day? I do. Um, and to be very honest, I'm not a... So I am, I'm familiar with human design, but I haven't like... Um, studied it extensively, but I do know that I'm a seasonal person. So when the sun is out and it's warm, I have no difficulty waking up, you know, very early. But when it's winter and cold right now, like it is in Switzerland, I just feel that taking more time, uh, planning ahead, having a cup of tea, reading, you know, just 10 pages of a good book in the morning and starting slow is what works best for me. So that's what I've been doing. And my cat always pays me a visit purring in the morning, which is a very good moment to kind of ground yourself and be grateful for simple things. Beautiful. I also since recently have a cat and it's, I heard these people saying, yeah, and my cat wakes me up. And it was like this romantic way of interacting with your cat, but she's just meowing. She is in heat for the first time. So mm -hmm. it's crazy days around home. <laughs> yeah, mine meow for food. So yeah. <laughs> Great. Um, I'm going to give a bit of a backstory on why I really wanted to bring you here on the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, one year ago, I was doing a program with Paige, who was also in, on this podcast a couple of weeks ago. And it was the program was all about starting your business and working also on strategy and marketing. And there were different guests um, in the program. You were one of them. And with you, we worked on imposter syndrome, which back then for me was a topic I really didn't know about. And it was so, so eye-opening for me in many, many ways to understand some blockages that I was having within me to see some actions and where they're coming from. And also to see how this is really... Hmm. yeah, just not helping me uh, go where I want to be. And I would love to talk more about imposter syndrome in this podcast to help people understand what it is, um, how they can tackle it, so what are some tools that they can implement. Yeah. Um, and I knew that you were the right perfect for that because uh, your mm -hmm. work is all around imposter syndrome. So Maybe even before diving so much into the topic, you can tell me a bit of your story, um, where your story, story started, what are some lessons that you learned um, and where it brought you, where you now. Yeah, thank you so much. And 
just to come back on something you, you mentioned before where you hadn't heard of like the specific term of imposter syndrome yet you could really relate to its description is so common. Uh, the term imposter syndrome is gaining in popularity like these past years, but a lot of people don't know what it means, even though they can really relate once they understand what it is. And we'll talk about that a bit later. So to make a long story short um, about my story, so born and raised in Switzerland, studied here, and I actually have um, a master's degree in finance. So for a very long time, I was, you know, convinced that I wanted to work in a bank or doing consulting or anything finance related, as I love finance and I love numbers. That's my nerd side. But then life, you know, had um, a different idea. And while I was studying and prior to that, so basically between 15 and 25, I got depression five times. And the fifth was during my master's degree. And that's when, you know, this voice in my head said, this is the last time I have to get to the bottom of this. Otherwise, I'm just going to live a life where I'm navigating between temporary highs and crashing downs. And I'm not willing to live like that anymore. So that was a bit of a wake up call. I was so exhausted. I could not get out of bed. I could like barely keep up with my studies. I had to drop a lot of courses, which I could, you know, do later. So it wasn't that much of a big deal. Mm. And that's, I became obsessed with the mind. Uh, my rationality was if I can understand what is going on in my brain, maybe I can help myself. Mm -hmm. So I started to read a lot of books about depression and like looping thoughts, negative thoughts and how thoughts influence your feelings and how you can kind of get out of it. Uh, stumbled across CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, which was very useful when I, I found the book in understanding how thoughts trigger feelings, which basically, you know, determine the quality of your life. Um, so that got me started and this led to that. I then stumbled across EFT, which stands, stands for Emotional Freedom Technique. And it's a, a modality that basically uses um, the energy system in our body based on, you know, Chinese medicine, a bit similar to acupuncture, acupuncture and the main idea to release disruptive emotions or old traumatic or upsetting event out of your system so you can find more peace. And that healed depression. Uh, it took me a few months and I had the support from a therapist, specialized EFT therapist, but I basically was able to find the root cause of the depression, which of course, you know, like many people was some sort of feeling not good enough mm. um, and a lot of extra work, obviously. And depression left. It was in May of 2018, May of 2018. I celebrate that, that oh. month each year. And that kind of got me very captivated by a completely different field than finance, which was the subconscious mind uh, and how you can reclaim power over your life and your body and your mental health. So even though I finished my studies, I already kind of knew that I did not want to work in finance anymore, but I wasn't sure yet. Traveled for a few months in Latin America, came back and I was like, I'm never going to go back in an office, that life is just not for me. And that got me started uh, working uh, with EFT. I then got certified in rapid transformational therapy, which is a form of hypnosis. And came the point where I had to pick a niche and something I was really passionate about. And while I was passionate about many things, um, one of the things that really touched me throughout my studies and also my short-lived corporate career was seeing so many women and men also, right? But my female colleagues who would not go for the promotion or who would do extra time and burnout because they didn't feel good enough, they didn't feel smart enough, or they felt that, you know, they were not com competent enough, et cetera, et cetera. So the typical signs of imposter syndrome. And they were missing out on so many things because of that. So that's how I decided that I wanted to niche down in imposter syndrome and help, you know, women master their mind so they could smash imposter syndrome, use their subconscious mind in their favor and improve their life and business. That's a really beautiful story. And one of the things I'm trying to share also with Authentic Life Design is how you can change direction anytime you feel like it's time to change because mm -hmm. oftentimes we jump into one career and we think okay so we chose it for the right reasons back then and we're doing it but things are changing and sometimes 
um, yeah, pivoting and starting working with imposter syndrome after a finance degree. Exactly. Possible. It's interesting for me, uh, you said that you've been feeling these, um, like the depression within your master's, um, the years of your master's. What were some of the running thoughts or feelings that you had back then? Was it the not enoughness? Was it, I'm completely confused what I'm doing? Yeah, it's interesting because it was always triggered by the same type of events. So it, it didn't really have much to do with finance itself, even though if I had stayed in the field, I think after five or 10 years, I would have been fundamentally unfulfilled. But that's a different story. So what triggered it, and for a long time, I was kind of ashamed to talk about it, but so like everyone relates. So it was when I was involved with someone and it didn't turn out uh, in a relationship. So the person would say, oh, I mean, you know, I don't have time for a relationship or I'm too busy with my job or whatever. Mm. And it was that form of rejection from someone, you know, I liked or love. Mm. And what I came to understand later was that when these situationships, as I call them, it's not a relationship, it's not a friendship, it's a situationship, <laughs> uh, ended, it kind of triggered a deep sense of not good enough. So as if part mm. of me said, oh, I'm, you know, really, I really like this person. I'm really attracted to this person. But if it's not working, it must be my fault. Something is wrong with me or I'm not good enough for them or I'm not smart enough. Or I wasn't interesting enough. All of the I'm not enough kind of mm. basic thing. Mm. And that's what triggered it each time. That's what triggered the depression. Um, and I... I remember for a very long time asking myself, what is wrong with me? Like something mm. must be wrong with me. Otherwise it would work out or other people have something that I don't have. Yeah. It's so beautiful. You're sharing that. And it's not, I don't think that it's something to be ashamed of. I can relate so much to that. Um, I think I experienced it a lot in my last high school years where I really wanted to be with someone. It didn't turn out into, as you said, like in a relationship and you start going in a spiral where, um, I guess, yeah, what's wrong with me? I'm not lovable was my like translation of the situation, which mm -hmm. stuck with me for a long time. Um, yeah, that's really, really interesting. And I believe a lot of people can relate to that. Mm -hmm. And you're saying that, um, I guess, being in this position, you started being really curious about, okay, how can I get out of here? Um, and started with CBD, uh, CB <laughs> CBD. <laughs> <laughs> CBT and also um, EFT, maybe for the people that don't know what these are, can you uh, tell a little bit more on what EFT is? Yeah, um, CBT stands for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. Uh, and I believe that the person who really, so of course many people contributed to, to that, but one person who advanced the knowledge and field of cognitive behavioral therapy a lot was Dr. David Burns. And he has a great book. I have it there in my library. I highly recommend it to anyone who just wants to improve their life in general. It's called Feeling Good. Um, and he's a psychiatrist um, who has a non- drug approach so he explains everything in his book he specializes in people who had severe depression and people you know who were at the point where they did not want to live anymore and he was able to help a lot of people who were quote-unquote hopeless cases because nothing had worked with them and he said uh, i refuse to only treat people with drugs because it's not um it's not working on the root of the problem. So if you know someone wants to take medication, that's fine, but they will have to go through my cognitive behavioral therapy protocol at the same time, yeah. which basically focuses on identifying cognitive distortions and replacing them with healthier thoughts. So if, you know, typical example, uh, I'm mad at my sister, we live together and I say, you never unload the dishwasher. And that's a, it's black or white thinking. It's like overgeneralization. And she says, no, that's not true. Of course I do it. And I'm like, no, I ask you 10 times to unload the damn dishwasher. You can't do it. When it's not never, it's okay. The last three days you didn't unload the dishwasher. And so same goes with our thoughts. If we miss or fail a test or exam at university, the thought that comes is, oh, I'm a failure I'm not as good as other people. I always fail my exams or my tests when the evidence points differently. And because we have distorted thoughts, the emotional reaction is much greater than it should be 
in a negative way. So once you can kind of tackle your thoughts in a more efficient way or reframe your thoughts in a healthier way, you will improve your feelings and mood. Um, and EFT stands for, was that your question? CBT yeah, and EFT? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, and EFT is an emotional freedom technique founded by Gary Craig, um, who used to be an engineer and kind of stumbled across the method by chance. And again, his rationality or the, the, the idea behind emotional freedom technique is that between, uh, behind any physical or mental disease or illness or anything that's not, you know, going the way it should, whether that's anxiety or depression or back pain or, you know, joint problems, etc., is a negative unresolved emotion that is creating disharmony in your energy mm. and if you can go back to the root and restore the energy or alleviate the energetic disruption yeah. then the physical or mental symptom will also fade away or disappear completely mm. yeah thank you for describing this interestingly i've been doing eft sessions um for like a couple of times but I never knew exactly like, the scientific way of this working and what exactly mm -hmm. is happening. I only know that as a participant, every time you went um, into something like this, you feel really relieved and yes. like somehow it really shifts your mood. Um, yeah, it's insane. We don't quite understand exactly how it works. Some studies have wondered or point to the fact that it can actually... Um, influence your gene expression so mm -hmm. someone who has an illness because eft works with everything from anxiety stress to you know mouth sores to burns to mm -hmm. to greater extent some people have multiple sclerosis or very you know technically incurable diseases mm -hmm. and have healed through eft so it can work with everything so some said it's it maybe you know uh influences the gene expression uh others what is sure is that it it affects positively the limbic limbic part of our brain so when we are in fight or flight eft will really powerfully and positively impact that limbic response to bring peace and you know so that your brain understands that there is no danger to mm. calm that that emotional response yeah is it something you still do in particular cases when you i don't know it's in your daily life when you feel you are, I don't know, experiencing some anxiety or anything? Yeah, I use it a lot. It's probably my go-to um, method when anything bothers me in my life, whether that's related to my business or, you know, with family, fam family members or friends or any type of frustration mm. where I will, you know, tap on it and... And yeah, it, it brings even procrastination when, you know, I have to write an email sequence, which I don't really like doing. I will tap on, on the feelings of just not wanting to do it. It being boring and me procrastinating, procrastinating about it. And usually within five to 15 minutes, I'm ready to do it. I actually want to do it. So <laughs> it's so important to have tools like that. I think for me, it's breath work for now and just taking mm -hmm. some deep breaths and staying with your breath for a while. It also helps shifting this kind of, it does feelings inside um what is imposter syndrome how would you describe it imposter syndrome is a bit of an umbrella term that describes a bunch of feelings but the main ones are feeling like a fraud feeling like an imposter um feeling like we are the dumbest person in the room or that everyone around us is more competent or smarter or more qualified or better at what they do and there is this kind of deep sense of, or anxiety around once people find out about me, you know, once the fraud comes to light, I will either lose my job or people won't like me anymore, or, you know, things are not going to go well. Um, mm. I have a friend um, who works in tech and imposter syndrome is extremely strong and frequent in people who work in IT or tech companies. And one of her main feelings is, even though she's had outstanding reviews from her bosses each year, she, the, the feeling, it's, it's, it's an emotion. It's not like logically she knows it's not true, but emotionally she feels that one day the boss is going to walk in her office and say, okay, time's up, you're out, we're firing <laughs> you. And it's a real thing. Yeah. 
I remember um, one of the examples you, you gave in the workshop one year ago was um, continuously going after different certifications and always wanted to have like a lot of certifications on different things because probably like our brain thinks that this is the way that we are um, showing some kind of credibility, but this is a never ending story. And I was catching myself also doing this. I, I was seeing it in a lot of my friends um, that we were trying to, yeah, just save a lot of certifications, have them around us. And as if this would give some kind of like word, uh, of course it does in like until one point, um, what are other signs or how can someone check in with themselves? Okay. Where, where, what are some spheres that I'm uh, probably feeling this imposter syndrome yeah that's that's a great point so one of the the consequences of feeling like a fraud or feeling not good enough or that we're not smart enough etc etc is um this tendency to to do more diplomas more certifications um and feel that we need some sort of outward academic recognition that proves that we are indeed smart or worthy or that we know stuff that we have knowledge and the trap with that is that, okay, let's say I just started, you know, my hypnosis business. And now I realize that I don't know more complex deepening techniques for hypnosis and that with some clients, you need them. So now I become obsessed with this thought that says, well, if you don't know how to do that, you, you can't accept clients. So I will do the deepening hypnosis, deepening certification. But once you do that, you might be relieved for a few days or a few weeks, usually not even. And then another thought pops in your mind and says, well, what if that person doesn't respond to hypnosis? I better know how to do energy work. And it's a never ending cycle where we can spend months and years and thousands of dollars getting more certifications that will never change anything to the inner feeling of not being good enough because we're trying to use something outside of us to mm. compensate for inner feeling and other very frequent <clears throat> manifestations or symptoms of imposter syndrome um, in the corporate world would be or in general really would be like not going for that promotion or feeling that our CV or work experience is not good enough to go for a certain position. Yeah. More frequently in women than men, even though everyone experiences it, but how many times have men applied for a job where they only had 70% of the qualifications and they got hired and women didn't even dare apply yeah. to that job because they felt they didn't know enough. Uh, visibility is also a huge thing. So whether that's you know speaking up in front of people voicing your opinions, speaking up in front of colleagues or as a business owner, mm. you know, making yourself visible and talking about the subject you love or what you do is going to be difficult because again, we feel that everyone already knows what we're about to do or we are afraid that we're going to make a mistake or that our information is not, you know, sophisticated enough. Um, poor boundaries uh, and people pleasing as again we sometimes feel that we are not doing enough that we have to compensate for our lack of smartness or knowledge so our boundaries might be blurred i've seen so many amazing colleagues go and burn out because they stayed long hours and took on extra work not because they wanted to but because they felt that they had to do it to deserve to be in that position or even you know unhealthy relationships whether that's with a significant other or with friends or family or people in the workplace where we will accept stuff that, mm. you know, doesn't feel right, but we don't feel that we are in a position where we can have stricter boundaries. Yeah. From what you're saying, it sounds to me a lot that it actually comes down to self-worth and self-image, like first maybe how you see yourself, but at the same time, what are you worthy of having or doing, or I don't know, sharing in this life. And it's so interesting when I, assume there are a lot of ways that you can like face imposter syndrome, but starting your own business or yeah, making yourself visible with your idea, no matter what it is, it's so scary. And I think it, it was a really interesting process last year for me to go through um, first from checking with myself, am I able to actually share my, like what knowledge do I have? I felt like everything that I know, actually other people know. So mm -hmm. <laughs> how can I surprise anyone? Um, and just checking with myself and seeing that I'm actually worthy of sharing this. And there are people that actually don't know this stuff that I've been going through and that maybe I can support them in different way. And then I remember that 
cool. Like you're starting your thing, you're developing it, and then you have to go on socials or anywhere. You can market yourself and you speak about your thing, your yourself, your lessons. Um, like the coaching business um, gets a lot to also sharing your own story. And it's so scary. And a lot of these thoughts that you just mentioned came, uh, come in the game. Like, why would I share my story with others? Who am I to speak? Um, also promotion, I guess in my case was also connected to pricing, pricing my services. This, I, I, I guess a lot of freelancers can um, also uh, resonate with that. How do you put a price on what you do? So it's interesting how you can see it in so many different situations. Like mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, it's a very good example. And that's, it's kind of relates to what we briefly mentioned earlier of cognitive um, distorted thoughts, where if I want to be a mindset coach and help people with personal development, my mind is kind of automatically going to go to like tycoons in the field. So Tony Robbins or whether we like him or not, mm. right? it doesn't matter, but people who are very famous in the personal development space. And our mind is kind of, if, without us even being aware of it, is going to say, well, he's someone who works in the personal development field and I don't know nearly as much as he does. Yeah. So who am I to help people with their personal development when they can go to Tony Robbins or whoever, right? Yeah. And that's just not the right approach. We all start somewhere and ultimately the only thing we need is to be two steps ahead of whoever we want to help. We don't need to be one million steps ahead and it's likely that people will relate to you way more if you're a few steps ahead than if you're like this gigantic, super famous person. And as you said, pricing is also a thing. Whether that's accepting a salary, that you know doesn't match our ex expertise and experience and maybe you know academic diplomas or not or charging how can we charge our happy price or something that we feel is fair and right if at the same time we have thoughts that say well you don't know enough you don't have that certification you just got started you haven't had that many clients mm. so many other people in the field have been doing this for so much longer and you want to be charging similar prices than them oh my god who are you and our mind will play these games with us yeah i correct me if i'm wrong but i'm feeling that maybe um with the whole social media experience comparison comes a lot into in the game and it can influence imposter syndrome a lot i feel like because if we're speaking about self-worth and self-image, we're constantly like every day seeing so many other self-images. <laughs> and we have, like, I guess unconsciously, we're starting to compare ourselves with them and where they are in their journey, not even like considering where we are exactly, what path we're taking. Uh, do you think that this can influence us negatively? Oh yes, comparison is, is one of the most unhealthy and unhelpful things we can do when it comes to imposter syndrome. And the problem with that, like it's a natural tendency to look around at what other people are doing. Mm. But the, the first, yeah, there are two main issues with that. The first one is that people talk about successes, but they don't really talk about what's not going well in the business. Or they do, you know, in hindsight, hindsight when, you know, they have stories to tell or experiences to share. But on average, people share the big launches or the clients they've helped, et cetera, et cetera. So it creates this hugely distorted view of reality where we feel that everyone around us is thriving and doing so well and getting so many clients. And they grew, you know, from zero to six figures in three and a half months, blah, blah, blah. When it's not true. It's simply not true. It's kind of like similar to all of these beautiful Instagram people who look flawless and who have like these bodies out of this world. But do we ever see these people at the beach? Like, do we ever see these people in the real world? No. Mm -hmm. how, how many, like, if you look at all of the Instagram pictures and how good it looks, do, do we ever see these people outside? No, because most of the pictures are heavily edited or like the, the colors have changed. And sometimes, you know, they use apps to alter their features. Same goes with business. So when we start comparing ourselves to other people, we are taking like a tiny portion of what they're willing to share online. Mm. And we are comparing ourselves, not only as a person, but you know, our business and our milestones and how fast we are growing or not growing to this tiny 
not realistic and non-representative portion of what we see online. Mm. That is extremely damaging because it, it's just not re representative of reality. And another factor that can be very frustrating, but it's also, you know, how nature works is that someone can grow, start a business, you know, at the beginning of the year and within two years be a millionaire. And we're like, oh my God, if they did it, we, I can do it too. And if I don't achieve that, then something's wrong with me or I'm not smart enough or I haven't figured it out or I don't have what it mm -hmm. takes, etc. Mm -hmm. But what we don't see is maybe the five businesses they started prior to that that didn't work or the 10 years of personal development or all of the healing and the shadow work or you know their own personal circumstances that at a certain point in time were reunited positively for them to experience that success. And that is extremely damaging too, to just yeah, compare a, or compare a performance or where we are at in business or in life in general when you just don't have the whole picture. Mm. I just feel it happens so automatically. So we really have to learn to somehow like remind ourselves that and always put our story first and check in and be like, okay, wait, but <laughs> exactly. where have I been? Where, where have they been? I, I listened, I heard it in a podcast somewhere. Um, someone talked about comparison and that you can beat it in a way that you're not always comparing yourself with the person, but seeing it as a possibility and be like, okay, so this is showing me that this, what I, because most of the time, actually, when we compare ourselves with, uh, to other, or if we're envy to someone, most of the time we, it's just them living what we want. Um, exactly. It's nice to, to see that it's possible and our timeline might be a bit different, but um, we could get there. Yeah, that's beautifully said. And even jealousy, there's a lot of kind of shame around admitting, you know, the feelings mm. of jealousy, because when we say jealousy, we automatically kind of think of the crazy partner who's going crazy over there you know, significant other not texting back or something. Mm. Uh, but jealousy is just at its core, it's hurt. And it's feeling that someone has something that we can't have, right? Mm. It's not, it's not a, it doesn't come from a place of hatred or anything. It comes from a place of hurt. And once we can identify that, um, well, first of all, I would unfollow anyone who makes you feel like shit, not because we don't <laughs> like them, but just because it's not being helpful. Yeah. And I saw this journaling prompt maybe on TikTok or on a podcast, I can't remember, mm. but it said, what if social media didn't exist? What decision, like, would you make any decisions differently if you didn't have like to flex on social media or if you didn't have the pressure to prove anything on social yeah. media? And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it is. I feel like it's been such a part of our lives lately um that we constantly think about our it's like thinking about your life and simultaneously thinking about your persona online but mm -hmm. okay am i showing this am i expressing this is this now a worthy story of being shared there or if it's an artwork like am i doing enough art seeing it's like such a competition reel of mm -hmm. others are posting more um is there another because we talked about comparison do you feel like there's another dysfunctional <laughs> way of being that really um starts and um how should i say it yeah just helps imposter syndrome grow mm -hmm. perfectionism for sure yeah. and perfectionism often stems from imposter syndrome so it's kind of like a chicken and egg thing but when we don't feel good enough one of the ways that we we want to regain some control is by making sure that everything outside of us is perfect and that is also super damaging because first of all, perfection is very subjective. So if something that is perfect for me could be very average for someone else and vice versa. So the concept of perfection itself, perfection doesn't exist, right? Mm -hmm. And that is, there's an entire chapter in the Feeling Good book from Dr. David Burns where he talks about perfectionism. And secondly, perfection stems from not feeling good enough so when we are working on making something perfect we're like indirectly fueling not feeling enough which is not going to solve the problem either and so much time can be wasted and so much procrastination happens and so many business ideas or you know relationships or good things in our life don't happen because we are writing we are waiting sorry for it's to be perfect or the perfect moment or the perfect, perfect execution of, mm. you know, whatever. 
And once we can, my rule of thumb with perfectionism is if it's 60 to 70% good enough. So whatever you're doing, if you're recording a podcast episode, if you are, you know, writing a piece of content, if you're applying for a job, if it's 60 or 70% good enough, it is good enough. No need to like invest those extra hours that are not going to bring you much. And remember that done is better than perfect and that there is no greater feedback than just kind of trying out your concept and tweaking accordingly as you go rather than imagining this perfect concept in your mind and one of the cool examples i can give like real life examples probably the only fun thing we ever did at university so we had this professor and he wanted to to teach us a lesson and he arrived in class with spaghetti like a raw spaghetti and a marshmallow and we were like it was two or three hundred of us in the you know university room and we were in groups of five and he said okay you have 45 minutes and you need to build a tower spaghetti as high as possible and at the top of the tower put the marshmallow Mm. and we're like oh game on so everyone was like building these spaghetti towers was a lot of fun we had tape spaghetti and that was it Mm. and at the last instant just before the time was over everyone put the marshmallow on top of their spaghetti tower and boom plot twist the marshmallow was too heavy so all of the towers collapsed and except for the people who had progressively tried to put the marshmallow on their structure to see if it would hold and that kind of goes back to the concept of it's way better to put something out there that is not perfect and test it along the way and tweak it accordingly as you know you gain more experience or feedback or see how people are reacting to something rather than building this perfect thing in your mind only to realize once it's out there that it doesn't work as expected yeah that's a great example, and I'm really happy you're mentioning this. I, um, I think I learned this in uh, the design thinking program that I did, and it was we had a similar exercise like this one, um, which was exactly showing how testing, like in the innovation world, is really important, and that you do it right, like already in the process, and not wait like for the whole product to be ready to realize that you actually have failed, and then learn the lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, and also talking about perfectionism, I. I think authenticity has been a really big thing in my life. And now when you were speaking, I realized how this has been, I'm not a perfectionist. I never have been. I always made typos on the articles that I was handing in just because I, <laughs> Ines is waving at me. <laughs> yeah, I, like I, that's, I don't know. I just never took the three minute time to read through it and then send it out just because as you said, like it was good enough and I didn't want it to make it more perfect. And to me, authenticity is really just showing up as you are because we are not perfect. None of us is perfect. And um, not trying to be there is giving you this kind of safe space to just explore who you are and be really raw and authentic. And it's interestingly, when you are doing this, you're opening space for others to do that. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, so I don't have to be this, this, this. We're, most of the time, it's just things that we have built in our heads, expectations that we have towards ourselves. Exactly. Um, so that's beautiful. All right. And, and that also applies for your private life. So let's take yeah. a random example where you feel you need to be like the perfect mom. So your house is all perfect to societal standards, right? Mm-hmm. So the house is always clean and the kids have matching outfits and you meal prep for the entire week and like the clothes are color coded in the cupboards, blah, 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 blah. So technically on the outside, everything is perfect. Who can relate to that? Like it's, it's likely that you're going to scare friends away because they feel that they just can't compete or not even compete, but they will almost feel ashamed mm. as a mom or, you know, wife or whoever, if they feel that their life is just, yeah, is not in the same league as your perfect life. And same goes with business. Can you attract clients through this perfect image of a perfect business yes you can of course because you know it inspires people is it sustainable in the very long run no for two reasons first reason is that life will happen at some point or another something will happen where you just can't sustain it because that's life you know something will happen um something unexpected or maybe you know you 
yeah, anything can happen and it won't be sustainable. So then what? Your entire business plan or business model that was built on perfection is going to crash because you can't yeah. sustain it because life happened. And second of all, some clients will start feeling that they're not good enough, that they can't compete, that they, they're going to think something is wrong with them and a lot, they're going to just hop off the train. So instead of helping them to the best of our ability until the end of a specific program, we are going to lose them because they have the distorted thought or feelings that they're not good enough or that they're not meeting expectations or milestones. Mm, yeah. Now when you were speaking, I realized that um, talking about me feeling I'm unworthy of love when I was like earlier in high school, um, this resonated into me starting to, I was trying to be perfect for my like potential partner. I don't know. So this was the, the only perfectionism that I was really focused on. And I, I thought that I need to be like this perfect healed person that is really um, aware of who they are, what they want, uh, killing it in every other sphere. So finally this person can come. And then I realized that this person might and most probably will meet you in your most like messy <laughs> way of looking and also in the messy time of life so yeah i'll be curious to know some tools and things that can help us actually work with imposter syndrome because i believe that a lot of the listeners have resonated with what we're saying and i know how many people of us are experiencing the same feelings so what are some ways that we can start working with that mm-hmm. so there are three main areas i have this three pillar model to tackle imposter syndrome and the three main pillars so that is going to give you you know you the listener a good idea of what area of your life or you know in your mind you feel is most relevant but the first one is everything that has to do with the subconscious mind sabotage procrastination the second field is self-worth the the third field the third pillar is confidence so when we talk about sabotage or the subconscious mind or you know procrastination in general something that could be useful and i will always say that and it's easier said than done but if you are willing to invest time and energy into it that's what will give you the best results is try to identify all of the times that you didn't feel good enough maybe that time where you know as a kid simple things you had a B or if you're in Europe, like, I don't know, a seven out of 10 or a four out of 10 on a test and your parents gave you that disappointed look, that is going to give you the message that if you're not performing well, you're not good enough, right? Even though it wasn't your parents' attention or a caregiver's intention, it's still the message that gets in my mind or anything that has to do with any events that made us feel not good enough. And this is significant because as kids, we obviously don't have the cognitive abilities that we have as adults and very simple events are going to be interpreted and leave an emotional trace or signature in our body and energy and mind that is no longer relevant today. So that time the teacher made fun of us while we were presenting something on Egypt could have given us the message that we were not good enough or that we were stupid. But looking back as an adult, we can actually understand that it was very, you know, non-appropriate of that teacher or maybe you know we messed up the pyramid and that is fine so it's it's a non-thing today and reframing those specific events can already go a very long way and i think that using the book feeling good it has several protocols on how to change your thoughts to something that is healthier uh, can already get you a long way and then we have self-worth and self-confidence so if we're talking about self-worth everything that has to do you know with or self-image, self-worth, having healthy boundaries, and also to some extent, trusting our gut, trusting our intuition, rather than what society tells us we should be doing in order to be good enough. Just sometimes tuning back into what feels good and what feels aligned, regardless of what other people will think, can get you so far with imposter syndrome. Because let's take a very simple example where you know, uh, yeah, I'm a marketing coach. 
But my way of doing marketing is holistic and including the subconscious mind and really connecting with our clients. If everything in the, everyone else in the marketing industry is telling to cold message people and to you know focus on quantity and have all these sophisticated funnels, if I emulate those people because I feel that they are the experts and I'm moving away from what feels true and good to me, which is more of a holistic alignment-based approach, I'm going to be a fraud towards myself. I'm basically going to dim the light on, on who I truly am and how I would want to serve clients just for the sake of doing it, how the gurus or successful people do it. And when you're a fraud to yourself and who you are, like nothing is worse mm. to trigger imposter syndrome. So staying consistent with who you are, what you stand for, being clear on your values and you know what you do differently than other people and why that is a good thing can also keep you get you a very long way and the third pillar when it comes to confidence such a simple tip but that will also bring you so much peace and confidence and joy is keeping the promises you make to yourself yeah. and let's say you know it's sunday and we plan our to-do list for the next week we basically do the to-do list that we wish we could complete if we were a hundred percent productive with a bunch of items on it and wishful thinking and oh i'm going to work out four times and i'm going to clean the house and i'm going to write five email sequence and plan the content for a month and record 10 podcast episodes it never happens or very rarely mm -hmm. and at the end of the week when we see everything on that to-do list we haven't done we are basically going to feel disappointed and that we can't even rely on ourselves. And there is no bigger confidence killer than breaking the promises we make to ourselves. Mm. So smaller is better, less is more, even having a very basic to-do list that if you were only productive one or two hours a day, you could still complete and arriving at the end of that week and seeing that you've done everything you said you were going to do yeah. brings so much joy satisfaction and confidence and will ultimately help you grow confidence over time absolutely it's so funny yesterday um it was monday and on mondays i get like very enthusiastic about the week and i had something like 16 to do's on my list and it's funny because in my programs and in anything i always when it comes to goal setting i say that it's good to have priorities it gets to keep it small and keep it simple and then in real life i'm just putting, I don't know, 16 things on my to-do list. And then I did something like 11 and I was like, oh my God, I'm not even close enough to finishing them. And then I, was, I just checked with myself and I was like, mm, maybe I was expecting a bit too much because life always comes in between. Exactly. Um, and I learned also, I was very obsessed with to-do lists. Um, it kept me productive. Productivity was really important for me back then. Um, and I realized how much it's playing with your confidence really. So I can resonate a lot to, to what you're saying. And it made total sense um, how first it work on the subconscious mind and really the beliefs that we have within us. Um, and then doing some small things, but really being mindful on how we really act upon these things. And yeah. Exactly. Also our thoughts, I guess. What do you think about positive affirmations? I'm curious to know. I love them um, and they work differently for different people. So some people really like, for example, saying them out loud or having them on sticky notes mm. uh, all over your home. Um, I like to have them to do my own recordings with affirmations. So I will just take, you know, the, the okay. feature on my phone where you can record like the yeah, recorder mm -hmm. and I will just say a bunch of affirmations. And to find affirmations, I basically take whatever limiting belief is popping up in my mind and say the opposite. So if I'm in a phase where the algorithm, that's a very frequent one, is having a mind of its own, your content is not getting traction. And then I, you know, my mind says, no one is going to see your content. How can you get a client if no one sees your content? I'm like, nope, no, we're not going there. So I will do affirmations like the universe is my lead generation machine. The right people always see my content. The universe doesn't care about the algorithm, mm. et cetera, et cetera. So I will do that on my recording app. Um, and I will often add music on top of it um, because, you know, we know how to do it. We do podcasting too. But even without the music, just listening to that five minutes a day while you are in a relaxed state where your mind is more open, more suggestive can go a long way too. 
Yeah, I really resonate to that. And also making it personal and really reflecting on your like current um, beliefs or places you feel stuck um, or more negative. It really helps just shifting from this mindset and coming into a more positive one. Exactly. Yeah. Beautiful. Is there something you feel you wanted to share, but I didn't ask about, or you feel currently the inspiration of sharing? Mm -hmm. Something that I've learned the hard way in my business um, is don't let anything mean what you don't want it to mean. So to give a practical example, let's say a launch flops or it doesn't go, doesn't reach like the objectives, which literally has happened to, to everyone. Or I apply for a job and I don't get it. Or I, you know, I went on five dates and I really thought it was Mrs. or Mr. Right and it didn't happen. Mm. What our mind automatically does is that it assigns a meaning to that circumstance or event. So the neutral um, objective fact is the launch did not go as expected or the neutral objective fact is I did not get that job or I did not end up in a relationship with that person. What our mind does say is, oh, the launch didn't work. So it means that your product sucks or that no one wants your product <laughs> or that you might have been lucky before, but you can't launch anymore or it's going to ruin your reputation. Or if, you know, we don't get the job, well, you're not good enough or you're not qualified enough. You need that extra diploma. You're too stupid. You're too old. You're too young, blah, blah, blah. Or yeah, the relationship didn't turn out to, you know, to be one. So something must be wrong with you. All of that is meaning that we assign to an event. And we have to be very careful of not assigning any meaning that we don't want an event to have because it's going mm -hmm. to become obsessive and it's going to turn into a self-fulfilling prophecy where if I feel, oh my God, the launch, you know, I fucked up the launch. I did something wrong. People don't like my program. Now I enter my next launch with the fear that people don't like it or that it's too expensive or that I can't do it rather than just seeing it as, okay, it didn't work out, the end. Just like sometimes, you know, you go running or play tennis or ski or whatever sport, you have a bad day. Mm. What do we tell ourselves? Oh, this is a bad day. I'll come back tomorrow. Well, I'll come back next week. It will go better. I'm just not in the vibes right now. So never assign any meaning to anything that is disempowering you. Mm. That's really, really interesting because in the end of the day, you also started about us reflecting on our childhood when we were actually doing the same. Like we, something happened, there was this event and we put this meaning of it and then uh, started thinking that this will now, um, yeah, just lead our whole life with this thought of us not being good enough or sucking in this thing or failing in this thing. And it's, yeah, being mindful of also in our present days when something happens to not charge it with so much negative thoughts. And in design, they, they call it reframing problems or just mm -hmm. putting a different story on actually like what, what has happened. And I think it's really important to do these, um, yeah, reframes of, okay, this happened. I choose to tell the story this way in order for me to not put myself in a spiral. Yeah, exactly. And accept, accepting that sometimes we don't have answers or we can't see the bigger picture yet. And that's okay. So again, to take the launching example, a relationship example, didn't work out the way as planned. Maybe, you know, the universe gave us what we needed, but not what we wanted. So I remember, you know, being really into this specific person at university and I wanted to be in a relationship with him and it didn't work out. And looking back now, I would, it would have been a disaster. It was not healthy. The person was like a very good person, but not emotionally available for a relationship. Yeah. It would have been so damaging mm. to be in a relationship yeah. with that person. So what I wanted was not what I needed and the universe gave me what I needed. So even though in that moment, I couldn't see why, mm. couldn't understand why it happened, I do now. And sometimes, even though, you know, human, humans want answers, but mm. sometimes it's okay not to understand why something happened and it's okay not to have the answers and to trust that the best always happens, even if we can't always understand it yet. Yeah. I just feel so comforting talking to you. <laughs> it feels like you get me. That's amazing. Um, I wanted to ask um, towards the end of this uh, conversation, where can people find you? How can they 
work with you, learn more about your services, anything, tell us. Thank you so much. Um, the easiest way to find me and then find kind of all of the, the links is on my Instagram account at Ines Padar, P-A-D-A-R, or on the podcast, the Imposter Syndrome Terminator podcast, where I share everything about imposter syndrome, subconscious mind and, and business. And then, you know, in my bio, there are links to either the website or the free hypnosis recording to smash imposter syndrome at the subconscious level, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the best way to find me, hang out and see if the content can help you or resonates with you. Yeah. I think I've been listening to this. It's a free recording, right? Yes, it's free. Yeah. Exactly. I think I've been listening to it two months in a row and it's really <laughs> changing your That's belief. amazing. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you for doing that. Are you currently enrolling clients and working with people? Uh, not right now, but I will be um, relaunching my Abundance Magnet program really soon. And I am taking a few one-on-one -on -one clients. It's, not, it's just on, not on my website, so people have mm. to reach out directly. And I am, you're actually the first person to know. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> spoiler alert, I am actually working on a imposter syndrome program, just imposter syndrome, oh, yeah. as I feel there is a huge need and I really want to be intentional on not having it solely for entrepreneurs, but it's mm -hmm. to be a program that works both for people, you know, in corporate or who are not working at the moment or who are entrepreneurs as, you know, at its core, it's energy and subconscious work to feel good enough. And that can apply to anyone. So working on that, it'll probably be out within six to eight weeks. Yay. <laughs> That's amazing because I do believe that everyone, yes, I mean, in the entrepreneurial world, you are facing imposter syndrome a lot, but also in your daily life, no matter what you do anyway, Absolutely. if you're an artist. Um, so I think it's great that you're opening the doors for people from different backgrounds. And yeah, I would be really happy to know that uh, some of you listening are also hopping there because it is life-changing. And thank you so much for sharing this morning with me. Thank you for having me. It was a great time. Thank you. What's upcoming for you today? Um, I am planning my trip to Costa Rica. Uh-huh. <laughs> You've been surfing lately, right? Yeah, I've been surfing. Uh, I was there twice last year. Um, had to come back for an emergency in November. So I actually still have a return flight like uh -huh. in limbo, <laughs> waiting, waiting to be used. So yeah, going back to Costa Rica, doing like two, three weeks of surfing, maybe four. Um, so I can hit the ground running with no frustration when I come back mid-March because I'm a water person. Uh, I thrive yeah, in water. Yeah. I am not at a point yet in my Wim Hof journey where I can go to <laughs> the lake in winter in Switzerland. So probably for next winter. Uh, so yeah, going back to Costa Rica. <laughs> Amazing. What is one thing surfing taught you? Probably to, it's so funny that you ask this, but to let go of perfectionism and being okay not getting the results you want because let's say you know you see a wave you're paddling you want to catch it and you don't and my first reflex would be to ask the instructors why did that like why didn't i catch it what did i do wrong so i can improve the next time and they're like oh nothing it just broke earlier than expected yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was like oh so it's not me they're like no and i'm like oh okay <laughs> so just you know chill be in the present moment you're in a, such a beautiful environment in the water uh, in some spots there are turtles that will come back up for air like it's so beautiful so basically take a chill pill be in the present yes. moment yes enjoy the environment around you and it's the wave it's not necessarily because you're not competent enough <laughs> absolutely i started two years ago and i'm coming from a very like my parents were professional sporters and I've done many kinds of sports oh, wow. in my life. And I was used to being fine, like just being pretty fast with learning. And then surfing for me was like a whole new area of me sucking every day. <laughs> and it was really nice to learn to just slow it down and not expect, just having fun. I was mm -hmm. so serious in the water in my first courses. And they were like, why are you not having fun? And I'm because I can do anything. And they're like, it's your second day. <laughs> But, yeah yeah the, the water has a way of humbling you it just when you have a big set that arrives you're like chilling out and then you have this huge set you're like oh no <laughs> paddle for your life and then you just get tumbled in the washing yeah. machine so 
<laughs> definitely a way to humble you down and, and make sure that you actually enjoy while, while you can. And if you have to paddle 45 minutes to stand on the board for three seconds, well, so be That's, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm wishing you then a lot of patience and a lot of fun in the water Thank in Costa Rica. Thank you so much. Thank and you I'll for having me. To, yeah, absolutely. I'll be happy to talk to you soon. Thank you. I really hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Ines and that the topic of imposter syndrome was in one or another way eye-opening for you. I really encourage you to take the time to reflect on some events in the past that might have built beliefs that are no longer serving you or maybe see the perfectionist within yourself and how it's showing up in one situation or another. I will be really happy if you share with us what was one thing that really resonated, what you learned um, and all kinds of feedback. So don't shy away of DMing me or Ines on Instagram and just leaving a message, sharing the episode with a friend and have a beautiful rest of the week. I will see you on the next one.